Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash adventures in autism. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to take a minute to talk to you about making authentic friendships. You might remember the founder, Juliana Featherman, from episode 34 of Adventures in Autism. She is an autism sibling who created this amazing interactive web app that enables children ages 13 and up and adults with special needs to make friends based on age, interest, diagnosis, and geographic location. Parents and caregivers can also sign up to connect with other parents and caregivers. For more info or to sign up, head to makingauthenticfriendships.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Adventures in Autism, episode 102. I am Megan Carranza. Thank you so much for coming to listen. If it is your first episode, welcome. So happy to have you. And if you've been listening, thank you so much for coming on back to the show. How are we all doing out there? (laughs) I feel like we're kind of getting into a crazy time. I mean, this is, hasn't this all been a crazy time these last several months? Um, But school is like right around the corner and, you know, still not entirely sure what that looks like. I'm getting like bits and pieces and I've been hearing from a lot of you just kind of, you know, what you're thinking for school. I I feel like things keep changing for us. I don't know how it is, you know, where you guys are. I think every area is so different and even around here, just like the, the different districts that are, you know, neighboring and close to each other everyone seems to be doing something a little bit different. Like nothing is uniform. And yeah, the the information that's coming out is just like in bits and pieces and then it changes. So I'm going to get into this more at a later episode, I think next week. So stay tuned for that. Um, I'm going to have a a very special guest coming on with me to talk about school stuff. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, yeah, I would love to hear from you guys and see kind of what you're thinking and what what things are looking at, like where you are. Um, Today's episode is sort of in that vein. I am speaking with a SLP. Her name is Kenby Richardson, and she is a, a speech therapist in a high school setting. So I was really excited to get to talk to Kennedy because I feel like so often there's such that big focus on early intervention, and for good reason. I mean, you know, we see so much growth and progress when, when we get to our kids, you know, at a young age and can really kind of get in there and give them the tools they need to, you know, work on language and communication. But I feel like one thing I've really learned from this podcast is that, you know, growth and progress is happening all the time. And it does not matter how old your child is there. There is so much potential there. And so talking to Kennedy was awesome. She, when she had first reached out to me and said that she was a speech therapist and worked with a little bit older kids, I I knew that I wanted to talk to her. And this conversation was so eye-opening and really interesting for me. She really taught me a lot. And the cool thing about this is that it's actually a little bit of an older conversation. Um, we recorded this 
way back at the beginning when COVID kind of first started. We were um, on spring break from school and we were quarantined and planning to go back. You know, in a few weeks, we weren't sure what was going to happen. But my initial plans with this episode was to release it like closer to IEP season, like in May. And then, you know, everything just got so crazy. (laughs) We never went back to school. Everything was over Zoom. Everything was insane. And especially like on our end, obviously everything just kind of blew up in our our personal lives. So this episode kind of got pushed to the back burner, not intentionally, um, but I just kind of wanted to hold on to it and wait till a little bit more appropriate time to release it. And now that we are kind of getting back into school, I thought this would be a great time because Kennedy does talk a lot about um, using an AAC device and just kind of like keeping that communication open, like with your child's therapist at school and just a lot of really, really valuable advice that I know, I know you guys will enjoy listening to. Like I said, she really, she taught me a lot and this was a really, a really fun conversation. So I know you guys will enjoy listening to this. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Kennedy. Um. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to have you on. You had reached out to me, I think on Instagram, and (laughs) you are a speech therapist, but that you work with high school kids. And I was immediately so intrigued because like we were just saying, you know, we hear often about, you know, speech disorders and languages with autism. And obviously a lot of us have kiddos that have an SLP. But it's so often we hear about that for younger kids. So when you were told me that you're working with high school kids, I, I'm really excited to talk to you about all that. Um, if you will kind of take us back to the beginning of your journey, got to this point, I would love to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm still relatively new to the field. I just completed my graduate school career last May. So I graduated in May 2019. And this is my first year out working. I went, I did my undergrad at the University of Kentucky, where I'm originally from. And then I moved out to Colorado to pursue my master's at the University of Colorado in Boulder. I came into graduate school thinking like that I was like wanting to work with all the babies. I wanted to work (laughs) with the little ones. I wanted to work in early intervention. I never thought working with adults was really my thing. And then, um, Through graduate school, we had a ton of different placements uh, where we had to try kind of everything. And I had one placement at the Temple Grandin School in Boulder. Oh, wow. And yeah, which was a really, really cool experience for me. Mm -hmm. And that is a high school for middle and high school students with high functioning autism. And it's named after uh, Temple Grandin, who is an amazing, amazing woman. I think so, listening is familiar with Temple Grandin. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Very true. I'm used to kind of explaining this where I might have to explain who Temple right. Grandin is. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so I was at the Temple Grandin School for a placement. So I was middle and high schoolers. And I was like, this is one very funny I laughed so hard every single time I came in because the stuff everyone would say was always so unexpected. It always yeah. like kept me on my toes. And I just like had so much fun at those that placement where I was like, this doesn't feel like work at all. Like this is just fun. Mm-hmm. And um I really like and I had some other placements where I was working with student or with people with autism kind of 
along all ages. I worked with a two-year-old that semester, and then I worked up to like 18-year-olds with autism. Mm -hmm. And I was learning. I was like, I love this population. Um, I did my internships. I was at an elementary school and a um, clinic that specialized in working with people with autism. And I just continued to find myself really gravitating towards working with the older students and um there was an opening at a high school that I got and it kind of was a little bit of a leap of faith because I wasn't sure um what it would be like to work at a high school I had some experience with that but in graduate school we learn a lot more about the early intervention side of things and learning about language development at much younger ages we don't talk about it so much in teens so it's been a big learning experience for me, but I've really enjoyed it so far. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, I like I was saying before, I have so many questions for you. But uh-huh. Yeah. What really got you just into the field of speech pathology? Did you know like this is what I want to do? Or were you thinking that you I mean, did it just kind of yeah. laugh? How did it- so it's kind of funny. I was going into my freshman year of college trying to decide what I wanted to do. And I was in between uh, teaching and nursing, and there are aspects that I liked of both fields, but I couldn't really commit to one because each had their pros and cons. And it was actually my dad who was like, oh, you should try speech therapy. Like your sister went to speech therapy, worked on her R's, and it seemed like that was like a good career. And I heard that. I was like, oh, just working on R's? Like, that sounds so boring, dad. No, thanks. And then he never brought it back up. And then I was in college and I met a girl who was in our um, uh, speech pathology program. And she was talking about some of the things she was learning about in classes. And I was like, wait a second, that actually sounds pretty cool. <laughs> and I did some observations and I was like, oh, we can do more than just working on ours. Yeah. And once I kind of saw the whole world of it, I was like kind of locked in and yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. And then did you think that you would be working with like, because I mean, like you said, uh-huh. there's, it's such a huge scope of things for speech and language, but they yeah. could just be working with kids who, you know, need more help with their R's. Uh, it's exactly. You know, kids in the spectrum, especially those who are nonverbal, it's yeah. a completely different world. Did you like see yourself kind of getting into this side of things or was that also just like, it just kind of. Not, yeah, not until graduate school. Um. And I think a lot of it was just that I wasn't really exposed to a lot of this growing up. Yeah. I wasn't exposed to as many people with all these wide ranges of abilities. And I just kind of didn't know what all was out there. And the more I learned, um, I learned that I really do love working with people um, with pretty complex needs. I really love autism. I love finding ways to connect with like a really wide range of people. And I found that I was pretty good at it. So I just, um, the more practice I had with it, I was like, this is what I want to do but it's absolutely not what I thought I would be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kind of, the more I saw, the more I loved it. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like that was one of the things when, when Logan first started early intervention, he was like, uh, had just turned two when we started. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading somewhere, you know, you have all these like scary things that come to you. Uh, something about how, like if kids are not speaking, at age five, they probably won't be speaking. And Mm -hmm. at the time I, I didn't really know how true that was, but it, it seemed like, okay, maybe, maybe that is the case. And then obviously as time has gone on, 
I mean, it's incredible how, like, I talk to people who they're like, my son didn't say a word until he was nine years old. And now they're, yeah, it's just like, it's unbelievable how, how things can happen. And honestly, I don't, I don't always want to focus on just the success stories because I feel like there's a lot of people who, you know, unfortunately, like they're, it's, it's not going to get to that point, but right. There is so much in terms of like assisted communication now that I feel like sometimes we do, I think as parents, especially put so much emphasis on talking when like communication really needs to be the goal. Right. I was uh, just thinking that I was like, yeah, sometimes maybe if they're not speaking by five, maybe they won't speak, but that doesn't mean that they won't communicate and they won't be able to meaningfully interact with people around them. Um, It just may look different than you kind of pictured. Absolutely. So tell me then the students that you're working with now, do you, are, are they nonverbal? Do they use assistive tech or like, is it kind of a range? Yeah, I work with a pretty wide range. So um, overall at the high school, I'd say I work with like kind of three camps of students. I work with some students with learning disabilities where we're working on pretty academic language, reading and writing. I also work with students that are a little more significantly impacted. Um, They are in what we call our significant support needs program. And that's where I see even within that program, there's a pretty wide range of abilities. Mm -hmm. But a lot of students there are nonverbal. So we are working on um, using a communication device and working on um, just like getting as much communication as we can through either signs, through a book, through um, their device, just kind of facilitating communication and making them the best communicators that can be. Um, and then I also work with students in our effective needs program. And this is like a program for students who don't need as much academic support, but they need more help like socially and emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot of our students like high functioning autism. It's kind of like, um, I would say like Sam from Atypical oh. would be in, the, in that group. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And so with that group, we work on pretty high level language. It's all social communication. Um, so I work on kind of, anything that I think would be helpful and relevant. And it really doesn't often look like traditional speech therapy. Um, Like we did a whole lecture or like we did lessons on homecoming when that was coming up, like all the social, social communication that's involved in going to homecoming Mm -hmm. and like finding people to ask. And like, how do you know if someone's a good person to ask? Like, how can you read their nonverbal and verbal cues to tell if that's a good person to ask to homecoming? And, um, yeah, so like that therapy is pretty fun too. It's just like very different than what you'd expect. I love um because I feel like yeah, and those those are the things that you know we sometimes take for granted that it's like mm-hmm. we have we understand these these social cues that for some people just don't come as easily, right? Knowing like that, the yeah, what were you gonna say? Yeah, sorry, I just made me think of a story from the other day. A teacher was telling uh, me that one of our students was interested in another girl at school. And so he gave her um, his number three different times. And she kept telling him like, Oh, I lost the number. And we hear that. We're like, okay, she's trying to tell you, she doesn't really want to talk to you. She's not really interested, but he's just like, it was going to keep giving him the number. Right. So there's some things like that where we're like, Oh, we don't feel like we need to explain it, but 
yeah, it helps to explain it because it doesn't always come so naturally to everyone. Right. I, I hear that often when I talk to parents who have, you know, older kiddos in the spectrum. They're like, yeah, just take everything so literally. So it's like you uh-huh. have to break it down and be like, well, this they might be saying this, but they actually mean this, which this is hard for anyone to understand. It's so hard. Yeah, yeah. I know. Because a lot of times I'm telling people about like the stuff I'm working on. Like, can you teach me? Yes. I'm like, gosh, I feel like I hardly um know it but yeah I try to do my best with like taking these really nuanced communication things that we have and breaking them down into as many steps as possible and just making it as clear as it can be um this kind of stuff will never be very black and white it's very much a soft science Mm -hmm. but I try to make it as accessible for the students as possible because it is like the stuff that like does cause communication breakdowns Mm -hmm. and I don't want that for them so Absolutely. That's like some of the stuff that I work on. Now, the the kids that, that are nonverbal or that are mm-hmm. using devices, I feel like, because even in the past few years, it seems like um, assistive tech has gotten, like, more mainstream. I feel like yeah. I hadn't, I had definitely heard of kids that use devices, like, when Logan was in preschool, but I didn't know any kids. And now, like, my daughter's in preschool, and she has, I think, three or four kids in her preschool class that, oh wow that, yeah that use devices like I feel like it, it before like we had started with packs for Logan which I actually think mm-hmm. was a good place for us to start and at school they were using like a core board like I feel like there was other kind of you know like communication practices that were were more sort of like the standard and now it seems like everything is kind of going more to like the device which I, I think is great um, tell me what has your experience been though, working with these kids using devices? Had they been on devices previously or did you start them? Yeah. So most of my students already kind of have a device like established before they get into high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're just kind of working on like continuing to like use it across all settings. Um, where I work with a lot of the paraprofessionals at schools to like get them to use the iPads with the students, um, and just continuing just to kind of like broaden their students use of the iPads Mm -hmm. um but I also had one student where he's a sophomore and he still doesn't quite have a communication system in place so we tried um some new technology out that's on the newest iPad that was pretty cool you um didn't need to touch anything and it wasn't quite eye gaze either like you kind of would move your head Mm -hmm. and then the cursor on the device would move um which was really cool. So I've tried, I've trialed some different things. And we've also worked on low tech devices with this student. And honestly, he's responded better to the low tech devices. Um, like where I'm have a little booklet of options, and he's tapping on the one that fits, I'm finding that's kind of um, the way he really wants to communicate. And that's kind of what's working for him. So I'm all for using like a lower tech system if that's what works. I totally agree. Since I've talked yeah. about Logan using a device, I have so many people asking me like, how did you get him started in a device? My, I want to get my kid on a device. And I, I mean, I think like it's different for everybody, but I always tell people, I'm like, I don't necessarily think like jumping to a device to start with is the best way to go because I think for a lot of kids like you said there are some kids where it's just it's not going to it's not going it's not going to work as well for them but also I think because we have used PECs for so long and Logan understood like using the picture exchange to you know get what he needed Mm -hmm. 
then it was like he he made the jump to the device a lot easier because from from what everything that's been explained to me is it's like if you're going to have a device and not use it properly it's not even worth having it agreed i sometimes compare it to like exercise and like exercise is only effective like when you do it and when you use it um so it's like i hate running and someone told me the only way i could exercise was was to run i just wouldn't ever exercise mm-hmm. but if I can do yoga, if I can do cycling, if I have all these options, like I'll find what works best for me and then I'll use it and I'll do it. Um, and that's just the thing with these systems. Like sometimes like the like newest technology isn't always the best if it's not being used. So I'm all for just finding what works. And you're right. Like sometimes it can progress from using a lower tech device and just teaching like the value of communication and teaching that like my behavior changes the environment around me um and then maybe that can progress into a higher tech device um but that's not always a starting point yeah that I mean I like I said I think it's different for everyone I'm by no means a professional but I (laughs) do just with the you know experience that we've had with it I feel like if we had put this device in front of Logan before he you know really grasped Mm -hmm. the concept of using packs I think it would have been pretty useless to him yeah. No, it sounds like Pex really taught him like the value of communicating. And so once he got that, then like transitioning to the iPad made a little more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a case for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely did because when he was even very little, we had started using like some packs, but it wasn't until he got to really, did, well, I guess it was probably when we started ABA because his, his, his BCBA had made, an actual like PAX book for him. And then they were using that to run programs because up until then we had been using PAX and they were using PAX somewhat at school, but it was like, we didn't really have a system in place that everyone was using like across the. Mm -hmm. And then once, once we did that, it really helped. And then last year when he started kindergarten, his speech therapist at at his, his new school where he started kindergarten was, was really on board with, again, just kind of having everybody on the same page, like using the same system for him. And that's when he really took off. And then it was this year that we, we finally started using the device. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's like, it, it's, I just think it's important to remember, like having the device doesn't mean communication is going to happen right away. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it still work. And like you said, it has to be work for everyone. It has to be at home, at school, with like every therapist for it to really become like a successful system. Yes. it's. I mean, it is somebody had said to me before we started that it's like learning a new language and it, it really, yeah. And I think especially in the beginning, you know, for parents, it is just as much work, if not more to kind of get these things in place because you need to be showing your child, like, okay, this is, this is what we're, we're going to (laughs) do. You know, this is how we're going to communicate. And if you don't understand how to use it yourself, then you're not going to be able to do that effectively for them. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely a lot of work, work for everyone involved. (laughs) Yes. That's always something that I feel Uh needs to be explained more because even me too, like I want, I want that that device in Logan's hands, like ASAP. And I just thought, okay, he's going to take off. And honestly, he, he's done really great with it, but it is, it's been slow progress and it has been, there's been a lot of time and effort for everybody that has had to go into it. Um, Okay. So then one of the things that you and I were talking about before we started recording that I find really interesting is obviously we know that, you know, language disorders, speech disorders are really common when you have an autism diagnosis. 
So one of the things that we have been exploring is having Logan diagnosed for apraxia. And we, I mean, we, we often hear about, you know, apraxia on its own, but we often mm-hmm. hear about it, you know, in conjunction with autism. Can you kind of speak on the difference between, you know, speech disorders that are related to just autism or when there is like a, a double diagnosis there? Yeah, absolutely. So um, speech disorders are kind of just, when we talk about speech, it's just the motor act of speaking. Mm-hmm. So that might be some articulation errors, like not being able to say your R's, might be right. stuttering, um, or it could be apraxia, which is a motor planning disorder. And so um, that means there's no abnormalities to the oral mechanism. Um, but sometimes that connection of our brain telling our mouths what to do to speak is a little disconnected and that kind of creates some pretty inconsistent speech and it's often pretty unintelligible. And so speech disorders can definitely exist on their own. And there's also language disorders and that's um, actually using language, knowing the words and using them. And a lot of times with autism, we see more language disorders where maybe um, they are talking late, maybe they're not talking much um this is also kind of where that social piece comes in like that engagement um could fall under that as well and I think sometimes when um we're presented with someone with autism we just kind of look at the autism and the language piece and maybe sometimes that speech piece isn't looked at as um a whole separate component but it should be um so there can there can absolutely be autism with co-occurring speech disorders and that's pretty common yeah it's interesting that you you say like a language disorder can describe a delay because I feel or you know when a child talks late Mm because I feel like so often when a child is talking late we say they have a speech delay but would that not be the right term to use you know that's often what we use in the field and I think it's just one of those things that's just kind of gotten confusing (laughs) um where Um, I would say like, I think professionally we might say a language delay, but I feel like I would, I could, would also make the mistake of calling it a speech delay. So I think it sometimes is used interchangeably, even though technically what we mean there is a language delay. Yeah. That's interesting. I've never, I've never necessarily thought about it like that, but when you're describing kind of speech and language as being two different things, that does make sense. Right. Yeah. And it's something that like, it's so, um, it doesn't feel like it's very technical language between speech and language, but there is a pretty distinct difference between the two. And um, I think sometimes it makes it harder for people to understand our profession when those kinds of, when that language is used so interchangeably between people and it can get kind of confusing. Yeah. That, that makes yeah. sense though. So, right. So those speech disorders like apraxia can exist in isolation, but it also does occur with people with autism as well. Um, And so there's just kind of a speech pattern to look for. And sometimes with people with autism, a speech pathologist may not feel comfortable diagnosing that if they're not getting a ton of speech production out of them. If they can't get enough of a speech sample, they may not feel comfortable diagnosing that. You mean like not actually hearing enough? Yeah, right. Mm, Okay, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, so that may be something else that could also contribute to a speech pathologist not um, 
investigating that further if maybe they're not getting enough speech they're like all right I don't have enough information to see say if this is apraxia or not gotcha that yeah yeah, because I was telling you so Mm -hmm. I I have felt for a while that that Logan had apraxia because he does have a fair amount of words that uses Mm -hmm. consistently and he is also really good at just like mimicking or like approximating a word if we ask him to and that's newer. I would say that's something just in the last like few years he's been able to do that because before when he was like very young, we we definitely heard a lot of like sounds from him and kind of I, I don't think I know there's a difference between like babbling and jargon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was very yeah. little being like, yeah, he babbles all the time. And they were like, mm, is it babbling or is it jargon? And I didn't at that point, I didn't know the difference. So I was like, I right. Do you want to explain that real quick for anyone who doesn't know? Yes. So babbling is um, kind of stringing sounds together um, and maybe kind of sounds in isolation. It might just be vowel sounds where jargon is kind of, um, it sounds a little more conversational. You kind of see those videos of babies talking to each other where it looks like they're having full conversations, um, although they're not using any real words and we may call that jargon. Yes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Logan had, had all, all kind of sounds, but they weren't necessarily like getting us anywhere. They were just, they, yeah. Um, but then as he got older, like I said, he actually, he, he did start use, like he can say please and thank you. He can say hi and bye, but the way that he says them sounds, they like, it, it, it sounds like he has an accent. Like it's like, he doesn't, doesn't uh-huh. come out in the way. It, like it's clear you definitely know what he's trying to say but it's like it's a little off so that was kind of what started my wheels turning because the more research I was doing with apraxia was it kind of sounded like that was what what, mm-hmm. what Logan was dealing with um but then when I had brought up to like his his speech therapist at school it may have been like you were saying she was just she wasn't hearing enough language from him to to really say that but I also like I was saying to you I do think sometimes teachers or, or not teachers but any anyone in a school setting there's more kind of restrictions on things right so I was telling you we thankfully now finally have a a private speech therapist that we're working with and she agrees with me we haven't actually come back with the diagnosis yet but we're like kind of on on track I think to yeah diagnosis for him definitely it sounds like you've done your research and it sounds like you're really on the right path I'm happy you're finding another speech pathologist who um, is able to help you more with that. Yes. Well, you know what they say, a, a, a concerned mother does better research than the FBI. So, Oh, I, <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> well, I think especially for Logan though, I, and, and this is the kind of what we were saying before is I, I definitely have made peace with him and where he's at in terms of his, his language and, you know, possibly not ever being able to to speak like you or me but I really do want to just encourage that communication for him in in any way that I can I think a lot of people listening understand what I'm yeah I think that's such a good place to be where you're you're accepting some pieces of it but you're still pushing for more Mm -hmm. and I think that's what's going to contribute to him being successful thank you what what advice do you have for parents and who are listening and they're they're in that place of like you know, maybe, maybe they haven't accepted it yet that they, they just want their child to speak or, you know, maybe they're a little bit more like me and they just want to encourage that communication. What, what advice would you give them to just kind of continue on that path? So I think just 
having really open conversations, especially with your speech pathologist. And I think it's hard too sometimes if um, your child just has a speech pathologist at school, you don't get to see that often. But that's a really good resource to talk to. And I think that's one issue I do have with the schools right now is that I don't get to talk to parents enough. But I think um, we can be such good resources for each Mm -hmm. other. So continuing to just um, reach out and get support that way, um, get more knowledge that way. Uh, Knowledge can be comforting, knowing like what um, the possibilities could look like for your child. Maybe it's different, but that doesn't mean that it, um, there aren't really great, there's a great potential for your child. Mm-hmm. Um, and then continuing to find resources like this, um, good podcasts, good support groups, um, you know, just finding support in any way, um, not being afraid to talk to people about what's going on. Um, and just, yeah, I think that's about the best advice I have is just find support, find the people that you can talk to about this, um, who can get it and just kind of exploring all the different possibilities. Yeah. I think finding support is always probably the best advice. Absolutely. Um, you said that you don't get to talk to parents as much. Is that like a policy of the school or is that, you know, more of a, like a personal kind of a thing? Not. Yeah. So it's just um, kind of the nature of being in a school. I think overall I do get to talk to parents. Um, but it isn't as frequently as if I worked in a private practice where I got to meet the parents every single time I met okay. with the kids. Um, so, you know, I see them at their IEP meetings. Um, I can sometimes parents call me. It's not too often that that happens, but sometimes they do. And I'm always available by phone or by email. And we have our parent conferences. But often, you know, I'll see parents um, like one to three times in the year school mm-hmm. year. Um, which sometimes I wish was more. And I think, you know, in a high school, uh, parents become more and more hands off with their students, which is good. And it makes sense. And that students are expected to be a little more um, independent and more in control of their learning. But I really do love any chance I get to talk to parents and they give me such good ideas of like, what's actually going on with their kids and what they actually want help Mm -hmm. with. I think especially to high school, it's difficult for parents to talk about, especially a lot of stuff that we work on, like homecoming, like uh, like they're teenagers. They don't always want to listen to their parents about that stuff. Oh, so I think sometimes like I could say the exact same thing as someone's mom, but they may listen to me better because I'm not their yeah. mom. Um, and so I think I really do love any chance I have had to talk with parents and get some ideas of like what they actually like want some help with and what is going on at home. And I can often like really easily incorporate it into like our lessons. It's just um, sometimes challenging when they're, when that communication is missing. So I think sometimes in the school that can be difficult. I think um, it may be different in younger um, grades, but at the high school, I don't have as much parent contact as I might as I would yeah. like. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's hard for me to say because Logan is so young, but I am, I have mm-hmm. really good contact, I feel like, with his speech therapist, and I don't plan on, on losing that. <laughs> no, I think that's great. Which, which, like you said, like, finding support, I think, is so important, but that's another thing that I am always preaching is, like, just having open communication with the whole team because, I mean, we have, like, our therapy team at home, we have our therapy team at school, mm-hmm. and... Mm-hmm 
I, I, I want everyone to be in communication. So like how, like I said, Logan now has a private speech therapist. She, I had to like sign all the paperwork for them to be able to communicate with each yep. other, but like they, they're able to communicate with each other now and kind of talk about, okay, this is what we're doing at school. This is what we're doing at home. What can we overlap? What's going to be different. And I feel like when you have everyone working together, at least for us, I know that is when I've been able to see like real positive change happening because when we're all kind of like doing different things, not, not that we can't, you know, achieve things, but it's like when, when we're working together, we can just get so much further. No, absolutely. Like if I only see a student for 30 minutes a week, that 30 minutes a week can only do so much. But when I am communicating with the home therapist, the parents, the other teachers, like we can see a lot of progress so I think that's so important. I really love when parents reach out to me and I love it when parents give, go through the effort of signing all those mm-hmm. papers to get me to talk to uh, their other therapists because it really does make such a difference. And um, I don't know if sometimes parents are like worried about being a burden. Like they're like, well, I don't want to bother the speech therapist about this. Um, it's not that big of a deal. I like hope that they do. I really encourage like parents to not feel like they're ever bothering me. Like I want to I'm there to help. And if it's something I can't help with, I'll find someone who can. Um, but I really love it when parents reach out and are advocates for their children. I'm so glad to hear that. Cause I, like I said, I'm always telling people, like, I think it's so important and I do still sometimes feel like I'm a bother, but I just kind of don't care at this point. <laughs> but it's, it's so <laughs> nice to hear from someone on the other side of things like, no, we want you to reach out. We want to have that communication because it, it's, and I think there are, I'm just one of those people who I, I'll, I'll kind of bulldoze my way into it. But I think there are people who don't have that mentality. So sometimes they do feel a little more kind of shy or they don't want to be a bother. But yeah, hearing hearing from you, no, this is actually a good thing. And yeah, no, I encourage it. I like bother me all you want. Like I love to get questions. I love to see if there's anything I can help with that will like make a meaningful difference at home or at school. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely encourage it for anyone who feels nervous to reach out. Um, if they feel like they are being a burden at all, you're definitely not. And like, these are services that you have a right to. And I encourage you to get the most out yeah, of them. That's so great to hear. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you too, is cause like we were saying, you know, you do hear about how important early intervention is. And like I was saying, I had read, you know, if they're not talking about age five, they might not be talking. What is it like for you now working with these students in terms of like their progress and have you had any like major breakthrough moments that you can share? They don't even have that major. Yeah. To me, like little moments are major. (laughs) Absolutely. Right. There's definitely been some improvements and some, like you said, said like are really small. I have uh, this one student that I see, um, I see him for therapy, but I was also running into him every morning when I'd walk into the school he was always in the hallway. So I'd always see him and say, good morning. And at first he was like, he would kind of put his head down or he'd be like, that's too loud. Like, don't talk to me. And like, I told him, I was like, no, I'm going to keep saying good morning to you. Cause I was like, you know what? Like next year you're graduating, you're going to try to get a job and people are going to say good morning to you. And like, you need to like use your expected behaviors to respond mm-hmm. back. And like throughout the year, like any, he, he was pretty adverse to it for a month or two. <laughs> he would see me and turn around in the hallway, but I'd still <laughs> say good morning to him. And now, you know, I see him and he does say good morning. Um, and he says something back. So I've had some moments like that, 
but um I've also seen well I haven't seen um this progress but I was at an IEP recently and this family was we were talking about the student who's really high functioning um he's in mostly general ed classes um he's doing pretty well like he's um fully functioning student he just needs a little bit of extra help but um his parents told me in the meeting that he didn't talk to he didn't talk until he was four years Mm. old and it was crazy for me to hear that like no way not that can't be the same uh kid but it is just crazy like how much people can um, progress and the things we're working on now are really subtle nuanced communication and that probably wasn't um you know I'm sure the family didn't think that was going to be his path when he was younger and not talking so it is cool to hear about how far they've come and I know that's just because a lot of um his family and his therapist and teachers before put in so much work on him um that I'm really reaping the benefits and <laughs> uh yeah but he's doing great and so it's really cool to hear about um how far these students have come and I don't always get to see it because I see them once they get into high school um but it is it's neat to hear about their progress yeah, I'm sure I had a yeah. meeting just a couple weeks ago with with Logan's speech therapist and his teacher at school just to kind of talk about how he's doing with his AAC and we are definitely we're in a really good place right now I feel like he's definitely mastered using it for requesting for like whatever he might need but we're we're really trying to work with him on just using it for more sort of like conversational kind of language yeah Yeah, so there was one day his teacher said she sat down with him and she was like hey she's like what can we chat and he used his device to say be quiet (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but she's like, I was kind of offended but I was also just really happy that he knew yeah <laughs> I know I've had students do that to me too where I'm like you appropriately use your device but that wasn't yeah. what I wanted yeah. so it's, it's little stuff like that now that we we're we're like okay maybe maybe not the, the kindest response but we're really glad you're using it how you're supposed to but like absolutely those, those little moments like they they really do mean so much Right. And like that was really like such pure communication. Like he was saying exactly what he wanted. And I think that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. He surprises us sometimes. He's really able to like he just this was I think last week. He said to his therapist at home, he wanted more water. And instead of just like requesting, he would usually just say like more, more water or drink water using advice. Uh He took his cup and he tried to open it and he brought it to the sink and he said, I make water. So that was oh, really wow. good because it was like more of a sentence, which we're, we're seeing more and more of that from him. Um, but that he understood like, okay, I'm going to fill up my cup myself as opposed to just like, you know, asking someone to. Yeah. And that's cool that he narrated that yeah. too. Yeah. Well, Cause he didn't have to. Right. That's what I tried to do with him. Cause that was sort of the, the advice that his speech therapist, both of them at school and at home gave to me is like, just model for him as much as you can. So when I'm like doing stuff around the house, I will just, you know, try to like punch out some things on his iPad to be like, you know, we're going to go upstairs. We're going to get dressed. I'm That's dinner, right. Little stuff like that. And it's like, a lot of times it seems like maybe he's not paying attention, but then when you have moments like that, you're like, oh, you are definitely paying attention. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. I'm so proud of him. Um, well, it's been such a pleasure to chat with you today. Do you want to share where people can connect with you if they have any questions? 
Sure. I, yeah, absolutely open to questions. Um, my Instagram is probably the best place to reach me. And you can find me at uh, Kennedy Richardson. And it's Kennedy with two Y's. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. So anyone feel free to reach out to me with any questions um, about um, speech language, about high schoolers. I'm open to try to help with whatever. Awesome. I love talking to people, professionals that you could just like feel their passion for what they're doing. And that's totally how you are. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I mean, obviously you're the kids that you work with are older, but it just, it means so much to know that there's people out there like you who are there to help our kids. Thank you. All right. Thank you you so much. For you, the listeners of Adventures in Autism podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I often get asked for book recommendations related to autism, and one that I always go back to is called The Out of Sync Child by Carol Kranowitz, and it was actually recommended to me by a friend who is also an OT, and I read this book years ago before Logan was even diagnosed. It's not necessarily just for autism. It also goes into like sensory processing disorder or ADHD, but it's just very valuable information and a really great resource that I still pull from today, even though I read it years ago. So that's a really good one. Sometimes just to get my mind off things, I also just enjoy good old chiclet. (laughs) I love anything by Emily Giffen, like something borrowed or something blue, and those are available on Audible as well, but you can pick from any of their titles. So to download Download your free audiobook today. Go to audibletrial.com slash adventures in autism. All one word. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash adventures in autism for your free audiobook. Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Kennedy. I am so glad that I got a chance to talk to her and I loved hearing about her students and just some of the like fun and really sweet things that they they had to say I loved her story about like talking about homecoming and just kind of like that social communication I feel like there's so many things about autism that unless you were like close to it you wouldn't realize like how endearing it is and when Kennedy was saying how when she first started working with you know older kids and adults on the spectrum how she just had so much fun and she said she would laugh every day I I totally related to that and I just think yeah, there's there's so many little moments that, I mean, I think in general parenting, there's like kids are hilarious. <laughs> they really do and say the funniest things. Uh, like just this morning, I had I said to Logan when he woke up, he he sleeps in a, a nighttime pull up still. And I was like, oh, I'm like, can you go throw out your pull up? And I I went back to the bathroom to see if he did, and he had not only thrown out his pull up, but also his pajama pants <laughs> were just in the garbage with with the pull up. Um, it's like little stuff like that that it's just like I have to stop and laugh. And I, I yeah, I love that she said that because I feel like sometimes we think like oh like we 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 don't want to be you know like laughing at somebody in poor taste obviously but when it comes to our kids like I laugh at my girls all the time they crack me up the things that they do and like those sweet funny just endearing moments that I have with with Logan I they yeah they're a little bit different than I have with my girls but like they 
they're so special to me and they mean so much. So I, I love that Kennedy mentioned that. And I honestly can't wait for Logan to get older and kind of have, have more of those fun moments with him. Um, so that is all for today. And thank you so much for listening. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook at Adventures in Autism Podcast, on Instagram at Adventures in Autism Pod, or you can email me at Adventures in Autism 2018 at yahoo.com. I love hearing from you guys. I love getting feedback about the show. If you have questions, anything, send it my way. If you have been enjoying the show and you would be so kind to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, those reviews are amazing. They make me so happy and they also just really do help people to find the show, which I'm so appreciative of. And if you don't have time to leave a review, if you want to just tap that five star, that helps a lot too. So I will take that. Uh, that is all for now though. And like I said, stay tuned for next week's episode. I'm talking more about like school and all that good stuff coming up and that's it. Take care guys. Thanks.